0: Thank you for tuning in to our Bear Creek AG podcast. You are about to listen to our weekly Bible study with Pastor Tony. Thanks for joining in. All right, so let us begin. We're going to be picking up where we left off two weeks ago in the book of Amos, chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 9 through 15, or we'll be completing um, chapter 3, and, and I, don't want to, I don't want to just rehash everything that we've already went over, but suffice to say the first part of chapter, well let me just throw it out there as a question. What was the first part of chapter 3 about? Remember we talked about what Amos was doing. What, what, was, he, what was God doing through Amos in the first part of chapter 3? You remember? Because I, I stated it very clearly several times. Any ideas? He was witnessing against Israel, okay, because of their sin, they're falling away from God. But remember, I said basically what he was doing, he was making a case for why he had the authority to do it, why he was doing it. He was a prophet. He was called of God to do it. It's almost like he was in a court and he was defending himself. And then he was stating the facts of why he was ordained of God to speak these prophecies, if you like to call them that, against these oracles, against Israel, which is the northern kingdom. And so that, that's, that's where we're going to pick up. Um, in the remainder of chapter 3, Amos makes the point that God can become the enemy of those who once were his people. Now, we don't like to use that term enemy. Um, but the reality of it is, because they turned away from God, God didn't, become, God didn't say, I am your enemy. But because they turned away from God, they became God's enemy. I want you to ponder that for a minute. They became God's enemy because why? They were no longer honoring the covenant agreement that they had made with God. And so, because of that, the world today gets the idea that God is mean. You know, it's dangerous when I start standing up and I don't go by my notes. The world today has this idea that God is a mean old, and I hate to say man, but obviously man, they get the picture because of drawing, and he's waiting up in heaven for mankind to make a mistake so he can throw a lightning bolt at him or he can take a big stick and pound him on the head with a club. And the reality is God is love. God is very much about love. He love he created us out of love with fellowship with us. But the reality of it is is he loves us so much that when we are not walking according to His plans, His will for us, when we don't honor our word with Him, when we're not living our lives and doing lives together, Sunday morning I'll be talking a whole lot more about that in, in, in discipleship terms, then what happens is, is he, he, he chastens those He loves, He corrects those He loves. The, the writer of Proverbs, Solomon said, uh, Spare the rod, you spoil the child. And it's, and it's about God trying to get His covenant people's attention. Because if you've been around me for any length of time and heard me study or heard some of my preaching and my teaching, it's very evident within the Word of God, definitely in the Old Testament, and it carries over into the New Testament very easily. Is that God wants to bless His people, but the blessings of God only come through obedience. You do this, and God says, This is what I can do for you. But if you don't, then I can't. It's not that he won't. He can't because he has has constructed his kingdom. He has constructed the kingdom of God. He he, He puts parameters on himself. He doesn't force himself on you. God never forces himself. Jesus said in Revelation, I stand at the door and knock. And so with that, so God God right here with with Israel having forsaken their covenant agreement with with God are now, as we have already studied, are living as the world around them and serving other gods and doing things. And there's a lot of social injustice in Amos. Remember, we've been talking about how they treated the poor and, and so forth and so on. And because of that, God says, I have to allow judgment to come upon you because I have to be able to turn you. I have to be able to bring you back to your... Your senses. you can ask uh, anyone who's been through aa or any type of addiction recovery it's when they hit rock bottom before they realize how bad it is before they can actually get help and that's really what's happened they've hit rock bottom and so now god is 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 saying through amos this is this is where we are this is where you are okay the god who had entered into covenant with israel at mount sinai now announces his intentions to smite or punish his people or, or correct his people in israel was alienated from God. She had become powerless before her enemies. And God, through Amos, outlines the diagnosis of the spiritual condition of this nation. So let's start reading verse 9. And we'll go through verse 11 and we'll talk about it. Proclaim to the strongholds in Ashdod and to the strongholds in the land of Egypt, and say, Assemble yourselves on the mountains of Samaria, and see the great tumults within her, and the oppressed in her midst." they do not know how to do right declares the lord those who store up violence and robbery in their strongholds therefore thus says the lord god an adversary shall surround the land and bring down your defenses from you and your strongholds shall be plundered so god had become the enemy or they had become the enemy of god because uh, they had not maintained the standards of the covenant that god had made with them and to make his point Uh, Through Amos, Amos rhetorically summons the neighbor nations to come and witness, to be witnesses to the state that Israel is in. Okay, and he specifies what the heathen would observe in Samaria. Okay, so let's look at that. Notice who is summoned to witness Israel's judgment. Who are the who are the who is mentioned here to summon to watch to see to witness Israel's judgment? Who are the two names proclaimed here? Amos says, you two come and see. Come and witness. Who are the two entities? Ashtad? Anybody know who that is? Good. That's why you're here tonight, to learn. They are, if you have a commentary in your Bible, you'll probably find that that's actually a, a city of the Philistines. But it really represented all the people of Philistia, or all the Philistine people. Who were they? Who were these Philistine people? Well, these weren't Syrians. These are Philistines. The Ashtod, people of Ashtad are Philistines. They're the enemy. They're the original enemies. Well, they're not the original enemies. Egypt is the original enemy. So there you go. You, got, you I kind of let the cat out of the bag. So what God is doing is He's summoning the two greatest enemies of, Egypt, of Israel. Egypt, who put them in bondage this heathenistic uh, culture. He says, come. He goes to the Philistines, Ashtod. He says, y'all come. I want you to witness how far my people have fallen. Because God had brought judgment upon who? The Egyptians. God had brought judgment upon who? The Philistines among people. Those were the two greatest enemies in the history of Israel to this point. Obviously, there's a greater one coming, and Brother Gerald mentioned them there in Assyria. But... The point is, is he said, I want you to come and I want you to be witnesses to, what is it, to the state that my people Israel are in and what I'm about to do. Okay? They were chosen because they were the chief enemies of Israel. And they assembled on the mountain of Samaria. Uh, this capital of Israel was situated in the center of mountains like an amphitheater. And he's saying, look, come from your vantage point. I want you to witness in clear view what has transpired within... Of course, remember, cities are used as a as, as, uh, representation, just as Ashdod as was. Samaria, which is northern Israel, okay? Northern, the northern tribes, rather, of, of Israel. So grasp what he's saying. I want the heathens, the ones that I have judged on account of Israel, I want you to come and see what I'm going to do to my own people because of their disobedience, Okay? What were these enemies to observe? They were to observe great tumults, And I've tried to pronounce that the best way I can. There's two different ways to pronounce it, and that's one way. All right, The word refers to turbulent life, and in particular, of the nobles, which include oppressing, confusing, uh, overturning of justice, arbitrary deeds of might, strife between poor and rich. In other words, the city or the land had become great in turmoil. Right? It's a state of confusion. Everything was topsy-turvy in the northern tribes of Israel. It was chaos. How did they get that way? Come on, come on, come on. It's all right. Let's, let's slow down. How did Israel get to this place? It's, it's, not, it's not hard. There's no wrong answer here. I want you to think about it. Turned to other gods. Turned away. They became their own gods. Absolutely. And because of that, judgment had to come because they turned it back on God, and, and the evidence of that wasn't just the fact that they were places of false worship to false gods, but the fact that the nation was in turmoil. Now remember, the whole purpose of studying this is to understand who it's written to, when it's written, why was it written, what were the conditions, and then build the bridge. How does that apply to us today? This, that, this took place over 3,000 years ago. How does that apply to us today? Turmoil. Turmoil. Are we in turmoil today in this country? Brother Jim? Just like we are today, then they turned from God one step at a time. It wasn't like that it happened overnight. That's right. Because everyone in this room can remember when this country was closer to God. Absolutely. And then you look at it today, just like what you showed us on the screen.
1: Sunday morning, yeah. Sunday,
0: Sunday you know, Yeah. down by God it's, it's something that took time and sometimes you, you don't realize that you've fallen into sin until all of a sudden you realize you're there absolutely yeah and it wasn't like one day God just threw on the switch and said okay today's the day I'm going to do it he gave them time he sent prophets warnings right turn turn We we see it throughout the history of Israel really even in the book of Judges you know, the book of Judges is all about there, there arose a generation that knew not God. I mean, right there it is. And so they were living for themselves. And, and their community, their world, their, their, their culture became chaos. And, and we're there today, aren't we? Isn't it chaos? I mean, just take COVID out of the picture for a minute. All right? That was, I mean, that was chaos enough. I mean, that, that was the ultimate. But even outside of that, our nation is in chaos today. We, we are literally at a place that we call evil Good and good evil. It's, it's amazing to me how the, how the coin has flipped. And, uh, and so we see that. And that's, that's where I think we, we, I'm trying to build the bridge tonight is, is I'm not saying judgment's about to come down on our country. But we know one day judgment is going to come down on the whole world. And we're going to be included. This nation is going to be included in that. And I don't, I don't necessarily want to jump off into Revelation and the book of Daniel. Uh, but there are some, and I'm in that camp, that believe most likely something has to happen to our nation before the Antichrist can actually come into full power and come against Israel. Now, I could be wrong on that. I'm, you know, those are just as I look at the Scriptures. But either way, there's, the, the, our country, God's going to hold our country accountable for the chaos that is happening in it even today. It's chaos. I don't even like to listen to the news anymore. It's just chaos. Absolutely chaos. You can't listen to it without walking away and just shaking your head. When how did we get to this place in the United States of America? So we see that they were great turmoil. There was chaos, a state of confusion. Um, everything was topsy turvy. All justice and order are overthrown by open violence. That's what was happening. Secondly, they were to to also observe oppression or acts of violence against the powerless acts of violence against the powerless. Those are people who, in culture and society, are the underdogs, so to speak. And man, as much as we want to support the underdog, and, and there again, I'm, I'm just thinking as, as I feel led, to not, this is even in my notes, I'm thinking about the most oppressed group of people in the world that are truly powerless and how acts of violence are done against them. You know who they are? The unborn babies. thirdly they observed a people who did not know how to do right and justice had become second nature to them they they could no longer distinguish between right and wrong and and think about that i mean as as i studied this uh, this book i'm just it's it's not a prophecy this prophecy was for israel so i don't want to say it's prophecy for america but i can see how this is us i guess is my point If God's a God of judgment, sooner or later, he's going to have to judge our nation. And maybe we're in the middle of a judgment. I don't know. Nothing says he has to come back first before he judges us. There were a lot of innocent people in Israel who were judged because of those in power. And they were probably righteous people. But, you know, what a sad commentary on on Israel. Their spiritual condition, their sin had blinded their ability to discern right from God. Wrong. It's sad. And based on these evils, God would bring punishment upon Israel. First, the land which they had defiled would be surrounded by an adversary. Of course, Brother Gerald brought out the Assyrians are the army that fulfilled this prophecy. And not just once, but three times. Three times Assyria came against the northern tribes called Israel. And the first two times, uh, it was pretty devastating. But the third time, they just wiped them out third time they wiped them out and in uh, 722 BC the northern kingdom s- stopped ceased to exist and outside of Israel being reestablished as a nation that those entities have never been reestablished as a nation in other words they called them the lost tribes of Israel because when they were dispersed there's no account, we d- we don't know where they went because they just were scattered all throughout the known world at the time Second, the power they abused would, would be smashed, for the adversary would bring down from you your strength. So we know that that's part of it. Thirdly, the palaces which they filled with ill-gotten gains would be plundered. So these, uh, you know, and there again, I, I, I don't want to make this about us today, but I want us to be able to, to bring that into the 21st century, into the walk we have with Christ. And when I look at those things and how the adversary surrounded them and, and, and came through and just plundered them and abused them and smashed them and, brought down their strength and of course then they just they they stole and they plundered everything i'm just thinking how that's happening to our nation today it may not be from an army outside but from within this is taking place and it is happening from with outside so we see a lot of similarities to the day don't we now you guys are real quiet tonight you guys are usually pretty chatty slow me down stop me if you want to make a comment or you have a question about this okay so amos says that god through amos says this is the situation Verse 12 says, "Thus says the Lord, as the shepherd rescues from the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the people of Israel who dwell in Samaria be rescued." with the corner of a couch and part of a bed. Now, this may seem Greek to you, or maybe I should say Hebrew, probably a better way to put it, because this is using some Old Testament terms. So let's break this down. A direct utterance of God announces the total destruction of Israel as a political entity. In other words, as a nation, they're no longer going to exist. Israel could no more escape God than a sheep could escape a lion. Right? Who's going to win that fight, a lion or, or or the sheep. The lion will, will okay? The shepherd may indeed rescue two legs. And this is a saying that comes from, I believe it's so in, in, in the Levitical law, the social law, that if you're keeping someone else's sheep and a lion or a wild animal comes and destroys it, you're to try to get part of that lamb and take it back to prove that you didn't steal it. It's really just evidence say, I didn't steal it, but an animal got it, Brother Joey. cannot be natural absolutely that's a good point absolutely in case you didn't hear he said something that is destroyed like that that naturally cannot cannot naturally be put back together absolutely absolutely see Brenna
1: Mm. And it put God over the pride of man. And at the end, it said that people would throw away their idols and that they were going to cry and they were going to beg and they were going to run into caves and they were going to hide. Um, So this verse kind of made me think of that. And it's like people always forget that God's over everything and that their pride just, like, is over everything. They put their pride above God and, like, it's like they... They don't think that what God is going to do to them is going to be that bad hmm. because they can't imagine that in their own little prideful minds that He's actually capable of doing that.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, it's good. Good. I think that because He rescues it, that there, uh, the Lord talked about the remnant yes. of people, and these are remnants of a of sheep. Absolutely. Good. And there will be a remnant of those, those although we, we, there's very little documentation of where they're at in the world today. Uh, we know from Revelation that every one of the tribes will be, will, will, there will be some from every tribe sealed in March. So we know they still exist, we just may not know where, but God knows where they're at. But absolutely there's a remnant. And you know, there's, there's an underlying theme throughout the Word of God that there's always going to be a remnant, isn't there? Thank God for that. Thank God for that and so it is here you're absolutely right Brother Gerald there's, there's a remnant and uh, I put that down to the extent the children of Israel would be delivered the point is that only a remnant of the nation would survive the judgment which God was about to unleash on them only a remnant would survive okay I think sometimes we as are the remnant we stand against what is left after we think
1: other have been or
0: the rest hmm Absolutely. Absolutely. We are the salt. We are the light. We are the preservative. We are supposed... Absolutely. We... uh, Again, I don't want to get too far into um, prophecy and revelation. Well, actually, I guess this is more um, over in Paul's writing. But I, I firmly believe that the church is what's holding off just rampant evil in the world today. And one day when the church is gone, that's 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 why I say I think. Uh, there again, you don't have to agree with me, and that's fine. This is not a place to discuss it. But that's the reason one theories I believe why I believe the will be the church that will be taken out of the world. Doesn't mean that Antichrist can't be present with the churches here, but before he can come into full power and evil really take hold of this world to the extent that Revelation describes it, we have to be out of the way because we're always going to be that that shield. So, anyways. Yep, good, good, good. All right. The last phrase of this announcement of judgment indicates the spiritual condition of the nation. Amos again employs a kind of humor, I guess you could say, to depict those being taken away by by great lions, which is the Assyrians. Assyrians is the nation that will eventually come and destroy the northern kingdom of Israel. And uh, so the the lion is clinging for dear life to that which they... Excuse me, they are clinging to that which they're most prized. Okay. In other words, they have a corner of a couch and a part of a bed. They're trying to hang on to the luxuries, the sensuality, the worldliness, uh, that the, the worldly possessions that they have. And those things are brought into judgment. They would cling to broken beds and couches, symbols of their luxury and idleness. Okay? So, and there's some different views on that. But that's pretty much, I, I kind of find that too. Part of, uh, as I study this, I kind of align with that way of thinking, what they're meaning with the, with the couch and the, and, the, and the sheets and the beds and all. So. All right, verse 13. We're going to be finished early tonight. You guys, uh, I didn't, I prepared a lot, but you guys are quiet. All right, verse 13. Hear and testify against the house of Jacob, declares the Lord God, the God of hosts, that on the day I punish Israel for his transgressions, I will punish the altars of Bethel, and the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. I will strike the winter house along with the summer house, and the house of ivory shall perish, and the great houses shall come to an end, declares the Lord. All right. So what do you think we just we haven't described here? What's going on here? Well, the words of the altar were always anointed with the sacrificial offering. Okay. All right. Okay. Brennan? I'm oh, sorry. Brennan? So,
1: when, um, like, I don't remember what they're called, but they're essentially like um, safe places. When um, a person committed a crime. City of
0: Refuge? Yes, City of Refuge. Thank mm-hmm. you. Uh, after a person committed a crime, you go to the ho- and grab onto the horns of the altar. Yes.
1: There's no more refuge. Uh huh. Like, you can't go there, you can't. Grab onto the horn to try out anymore. Good.
0: Mm, that's good. Yeah. Brother Joey? So they have obviously become very fluent and comfortable. Very they much like so. Winter houses and summer houses. <clears throat> very uh, sophisticated. They are uh, very well off. Yes. And they're they are blessing. They are beautiful good yeah because we talked about the social injustice a couple weeks ago how <clears throat> you see how the picture now remember we're just we're breaking it up in scriptures each week if you if you were to hear this or read this in its entirety you would see the theme through it they're very blessed but they're social injustice i like to say social injustice because that's the term we hear today because they were oppressing the poor they were not taking care of the widow they weren't doing the things that god calls his people to do whether you're in old testament or you're part of the new testament generation christians today we're called we studied the book of james we're Called to take care of widows, widowers, and orphans. And they and they weren't. And you're right. They're living in their palaces. They're living in their, he uses the word strongholds here. They're living in these, these cities where there's walls and they feel there's a sense of false protection. See? False security. Uh, we live that way today, don't we? What's some, of our, what's some of our strongholds? What's some of the things that we we find security in, that we that we can find security in today? Christian? This building and the fact that they're allowed to come here
1: without having to worry about police coming and knocking on the door and taking us away just because we're here. It's a one.
0: Okay. What's, what's some other things in our society today that we put our trust in? Money market. Money market, Brother Joey? Technology. Technology? <laughs> Military. <laughs> Military. The guns you have allegedly have, allegedly, Allegedly, brother Gerald. Come on, man! Don't let the big, don't let Big Brother know all them things you have. (laughs) Yeah, they had got. Okay, they've become comfortable. Food in your freezer. Yeah, they become they become comfortable. They felt safe. They felt secure. Got a little money, a little jingle in my pocket, got a little money in my safe, right? Um uh, it's it, it, it was that's what we see here. Go ahead, Carl. A lot of people who are wealthy think riches is a thing that won't protect them from anything, they can buy it off. One way or the other. You know, and so they the riches they think is their is their stronghold or their their shelter. Yeah. Well, we learned for you all that are old enough that aren't, you know, old like me from the Great Depression in the early 1900s. But they learned then very quickly how you could lose everything. And people were killing themselves in, 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 the, in, in our nation in particular was affected. But we've seen that right at the end of... President Bush's term going into President Obama's uh, first term. We saw how the market crashed and and how the home market went. I mean, and and people lost everything, and yet they still keep trusting in markets and things like that. But my point being is, is, what God's telling Israel here through Amos, and in a way he's telling us today, not that we should walk in fear. This is not a fearful thing. It's, hey, understand what God is saying here today. Listen, your, your summer houses, your winter houses, your houses of ivory, all those things that you put your trust in, you can't trust them. If he's going to take it down, he'll take it down. There's nothing you can do to stop him from taking it down. Are you, you take advantage of those who don't have. Remember, we talked about a couple of weeks ago in the court system. Remember, in their court system, if you brought a grievance against somebody and they lost in the court, you owned them or anything they had. You could actually make them your servant. See, And, and we talked about, it, it pointed to the fact they were buying off judges and things. They're wealthy because they had money. So absolutely, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's about... Today, as I see it in the New Testament era, we're living in the church era, the New Testament era. I see it's a stewardship issue, and God blesses us to be a blessing. And that's really an Old Testament. God told Abraham, "I've got a covenant with you and your people." Remember, he's the father; he's the first one. He he wasn't a Jew. They didn't have; they weren't Jews then. But he became the very first one because God says we're. And they weren't called Jews back then, by the way, during Abraham's time. But my point being is, is, he says, hey, I want to bless you so you can be a blessing to others. And whoever blesses you, I'll bless. And whoever curses you, I'm going to curse, see. It's about, stewardship It's about being a blessing. I think I saw another hand up over here. Yes, Carl? Well, just say Hurricane Michael. Yeah. Very easy. And uh, I think God wants you to be obedient. If you're obedient, He's going to make things work a lot better. Well, like I said, the only way to have the blessings of God, you have to walk in obedience to Him. It's not a book of do's and don'ts. The Bible's not a book of do's and don'ts. It's a how-to. How-to what? How to walk a relationship with God, how to walk in the blessings of the Lord. And, you, and He said very clearly, you do this, do this, do this, and this is what you get, you get. But if you don't, this is what you get or don't get. It's not that God comes down and curses you. Ah, ah, I'm cursing. No. The curse is the fact that you now fall under the curse that He put on the world after the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. He says, But I can break that. He says, I got a covering for you. You realize that in reality, we're not under that curse as the children of God, right? And we, we still have pain in childbirth and we still have the fact that we have issues when we farm. I mean, if you go back to Genesis and see the fall, you see what's happened. But the reality is we don't live under those curses. We, we live under the grace of God. We live, under, we live at the foot of the cross. We live under the blood of Jesus today. And, and I'm sorry, that blood breaks all curses. See. But does God try to get our attention still through plagues and floods? Uh, yeah, I think He does. Did he, did he get my attention through Hurricane Michael? I think a lot did he get my attention through COVID? I think a lot of us ignored it, but I think he did. Yeah. We struggle in the church today with that side of God because we, we, have, we have lied. We've been lied to, and, and we've lied to others. It says that when you become a Christian, first of all, all your problems go away. No, can I be honest with you? My problems multiplied when I became a Christian because now I'm having to live against my nature i got to live according to His nature, how He wants me to live. That caused some conflicts in my life. I don't know about y'all. Y'all may have been angels, but I mean, I'm still working on my halo and my wings. So I've still got my training license and my training wheels on my, on my halo and wings. But my point being is, is, if God doesn't change, then why do we not believe that He still doesn't operate today like He did in the Old Testament? Say, Christian?
1: And thought that just because his hand of protection was over them with the enemy, and they were blessed, and they were his chosen, yes. that, that, that didn't mean that he couldn't lift that hand up again. Just like we take advantage of, forget about the fact that grace has—it has no limits, but it has its limits. He has to sometimes take his hand off when we forget what the point of the
0: grace. Is. Well, let, yeah, it's a good point. Let me ask you a question: When is grace most needed? When you're in a battle, when you're fighting against something. See, grace is unmerited favor. We we think of grace in the forgiveness of sin, and it is. But grace go is more than just the forgiveness of sin. That's the most important. But grace is unmerit God's unmerited favor on you. And the, the time I want his unmerited favor the most is when I'm going through a hard time. See, we do go through hard times. And, and we, struggle, we struggle in our theology, and this is kind of chasing a rabbit a little bit here, but let's go right there. We've got time. We'll make rabbit stew with it. Go with y'all's iced coffee tonight. But, you know, we struggle in our theology about that. Does God... Does God, per, God is not evil. Does God permit evil? Does God allow evil? Does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Does God allow bad things to happen to... Let's put it in the New Testament... Christians today and I think the answer to that is yes if he loves you he's going to chasten you he's going to correct you he's going to do whatever it takes to get my attention and the reality of it is is only when we're going through when we're going through the valley we know this for a fact when you're going through the hard times is when you really get to know his love and his grace in your life see now am I here to say that God put COVID-19 this virus on the whole world I don't know. But he sure did allow it, didn't he? Did he have the power to prevent it? He did. But he allowed it. Now, we have to figure out why. And there's several reasons. We can come up with several answers to why. Maybe one was to get the attention of the church. We had to change how we minister to people. I'm not talking about technology. We were living in our ivory houses and, and all that. And when we couldn't come to our ivory houses anymore, our summer homes and our winter homes, we realized this isn't the church. I'm getting them Holy Ghost goosebumps right now. I hope you're feeling them too. We dare not go back to worshiping the ivory tower. It's okay to come. We need to come. I believe in fellowship. I believe in relationship. I believe in learning. I believe in ministering. This is the place that a lot of that takes place. It's not the only place. We're hopefully going to be doing that in people's homes here in the fall and outside the four walls. But the point of the matter is, is he allowed that one to get our attention. He also did that to get the world's attention. Those who don't know him, many people came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ through this. they did well yes I was going to say something but I don't need to go down that rabbit trail tonight but yes they did um, so we walk in God's grace we, get, we receive his blessings we walking in his grace mm-hmm. so he can bless others yes and maybe with Israel they're not walking in grace so they can't bless others and it just goes down and down exactly right it erodes. It's, it's, the old, it's the old saying, and it's the old saying I heard a preacher one time say, I don't remember who it was, but there's no way that you can, you can gain God's blessings with a, cold, a closed fist. Now, they were talking about tithing, but that's true about everything. You have to be willing to let everything you have be used of God and however He wants you. You've got to let it go, including your life. Come Sunday morning we're going to talk a little bit about that too including your life we don't we don't get saved so that we can have more in this life we, we, we accept Christ originally we accept Christ because we're either hurting we're broken we're lost we're in a situation we can't get out of and we've Let's face it, most people, they turn to God. Okay, I've tried everything else. Let me turn to God. And that's the initiation of the relationship. But the reality of it is, is from that point on, you're in a relationship with God, a discipleship relationship where He's teaching and training you. For what? For the purpose of you to give your life away. You give it away to Him and then He uses your life for His glory. I talked with a friend of mine last night. He's scared to death. He told me, he says, Pastor, he says, I am absolutely scared to death right now. And I was talking to him, I said, why that? He said, because I'm looking to retire in a couple of years and God has started laying on my heart about going into the mission field, into a, a very strong, Muslim-controlled country. And he says, I'm scared of what God's going to ask me to do. And I, and I told him, I says, when you gave your heart to Jesus, you gave your life to Him. Walk in obedience to Him. If it's Him, He's going to take care of you. And the day that you take your last breath, whether it's here in the States or it's in that African nation, wherever it is, your steps are order of God because why? You're no longer your own. We we in in our in our wealth of our nation and the and 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 the longing for luxury. And I'm gonna be careful because, like I said, I I like having nice things, but it's really about stewarding those things. And how, why would God bless me with that unless I'm going to use it for His glory? Does that make sense? Well, using it for His glory and and, and just prioritizing really what is most important in my life and you need to do that for your life. Basically, what Israel did was, and we've said this before, where much is given, much is required. They were a covenant people of God. They didn't keep their end of the bargain. So God says, because of that, I'm going to take my hand off of you. And here's the thing. We, we, and, and, and I know we're kind of splitting hairs here, so please don't, don't be offended, or don't, I don't want to make this an argumentative thing, but just let me finish my thought. It wasn't that God sent the Assyrians to conquer Israel. God just said, they're already your enemy. They've already attacked all the other people, nations around you. It's only because of me that they haven't gotten you. I'm telling you this so that why you can repent. I'm telling you this so that you can turn it around. I'm telling you this so you don't have to go through this. But they did. And God's a God of his word. He just said, okay. I've got to take my hand of protection off of you. Because that's the only way you're going to understand. That hurts. But can I tell you something? He's done that in my life. He says, you asked for it, you got it. Toyota. And boy, did I make a mess. You see. Kind of a solemn Bible study tonight, I know. But it's it that's what this is about. It's about looking at the nature of God through his word and how he interacts with his people and, and the people of the world. He blesses us to be a blessing to others. But he wants us to honor the covenant that we're in. When we give him our lives, I like that term. We give him our lives. We don't just give him our sin. Oh, I want you to take my sin away. I want to go to heaven. He says, "Okay, I got it. Your sin's already covered. Two thousand years ago on the cross, it was covered. But now, require your life." Remember what he said to the rich young ruler? The rich young ruler says, "How can I go to heaven?" Keep the commandments. Well, I've kept them all. What else must I do? So apparently, he knew something wasn't right. And Jesus said, "Go sell everything and come follow me. Sell it all, and give it to the poor." Joey. They, they were at the same place we are, and they, they were so comfortable with what they doing wrong that they didn't believe in any consequence. That's right. Consequences. Yeah, yeah. They feel invincible too. We feel invincible as well. And they did that. But you're absolutely right, Brother Joey. There's got to be consequences. Got to be consequences. Even even in nature, even in science, for every action, there's an opposite and equal reaction. Right? Y'all remember that? Y'all remember that? Come on. All right. That starts at a young age. Starts at a young age. Well, j- the stats that I showed you Sunday morning shows you where our nation is. And, and 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 you know I didn't really because of the length of the service and, and the move of the spirit I didn't really I understand that there are th- other forces at work that that are coming against our kids culture and things like that but how much more do we need to fight for them as well that that just reinforces what I said Sunday morning well but Pastor you know you got the internet out there and you've got billboards and you've got university you've got the teachers you've got this I said. How much more then do you need to invest in your kids? So that when they face that, they know right from wrong. If you allow culture, if you allow the teachers, the school system, Lord have mercy, if they go to the universities today and not knowing Jesus in a personal strong way, man, they're cut bait. That's all they are. They're chum. The shark's going to eat them up. They have to know that they know that they know. And they have to know that the Word of God cannot be compromised. It is the only objective thing in this world, meaning it's the only thing that doesn't change. In reality, God created everything else to change, to move forward, but not the word. It never changes. See. And so we bring it back to our Bible study tonight. And I think that's what God would have us know tonight. He is the God of the blessing. He wants to bless us, but we have to make sure that we're walking in step with Him and not become so comfortable and seeking after the ivory tower, so to speak, or the summer house and the winter house. And, And there again, this is not focusing on things. The things are just a reflection of where they were. God's not against things. It's a stewardship issue. In fact, Jesus says if you're faithful in the small things, little things, now that doesn't necessarily mean materialistic things, but it can. It's a principle, spiritual principle. He'll make you ruler over greater things. It's a stewardship issue but not everyone who doesn't have greater things doesn't mean they're a bad steward either he also gives us according to our abilities and that's in the parable of the talents that makes sense okay I'm chasing another rabbit but I just want to make sure we're clear on that any questions comments concerns you guys have been really quiet tonight I would say you've been good students but you, have, you haven't said enough yeah. we serve a loving God and I can say without a shadow of doubt he'll do whatever it takes to reach everybody for, to be his children he will I think Jesus made that clear with the parables of the the sheep the coin and the prodigal son he'll bend over backwards but once you get in that relationship with him you're his and he wants the freedom to do what he needs to do in and through your life, and I promise you. I told my friend last night, I said, I know he's not the one that's, that's uh, you know, whether he's called you to that country or not, I can't say, but if he were calling me to that country, I would much rather go and face what I had to face there knowing that I'm in his will than to stay comfortable in this country out of his will because I would be miserable. <laughs> you ever been out of the will of God? It's miserable. There's not enough chocolate pie in the world, trust me, to make me feel better when I'm that way. Banana pudding, Banana pudding my, yeah Let's see. Amen. Well, let me pray over you, and uh, we will conclude and give you guys a few moments to fellowship tonight. Father, thank you so much. Your Word always brings life, God. I call it the bread of life. It always brings nourishment to our spirit, man. Lord, it always makes us think and contemplate life, contemplate what we're doing with our lives as compared to what Your Word says we should do. And I thank You for that, God, because it's unchanging. And Lord, there's times I don't feel like doing this or doing that, Lord. There's things that the culture confuses our thinking sometimes, but I can always go back to Your Word, Lord. And I pray that tonight that everyone who's whether listening by this podcast or present here in this room, Lord, as Jesus used the parable of the seed and the ground, Lord, God, may we protect the seed tonight, not let the birds, the enemy, steal it. God, may it find good soil where it can get rooted, Lord, and not on the rocks, God, where it will die of thirst. God, and Lord, may we tend to the garden that the seed has planted and get rid of the thorns and the thistles, the things that may strangle this seed out from developing in our lives. In other words, God, may it find good ground, Lord, fertile ground tonight that it can take root, grow, and produce. A good fruit, Lord, that will remain. That's our goal. That's what we want tonight, God. Lord, we thank you, God, for the fellowship that we've already had. And the fellowship we're about to have, God, as we call this evening to an end. And Lord, just be with us. Keep us safe as we go home tonight, God. And Lord, I pray for those two families, Lord, that, uh, uh, that had deaths in their family. Lord, I pray for... Uh, Sister Blankenship's family, God, I know she's got family members who are unsaved, and this just makes them even more bitter towards the church. And I just pray, Lord, that you bring them peace, God, that you help, help them be open to your spirit to bring comfort to them, Lord. And Father, for the family, the McGill family, likewise, Lord, bring comfort during this storm, God. Bring comfort during this time, Father. Bring them peace. Bless Rhonda, Lord, his daughter. God, touch her. Give her the strength she needs to make the decisions that need to be made, Lord. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining our podcast. Here at Bear Creek AG, our goal is to help others know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Have a great week.